Hey, this is David Dearman. I'm the pastor at Memphis Tabernacle, and this is our podcast. I wanted to thank you for joining us today. I hope that this message inspires you and builds your faith. I hope that it gives you fresh insight and strength to see God move in your life. Enjoy the message. Joshua chapter 7. Hey, let me give you a little bit of context for where we're at in Joshua 7. Joshua has led the nation of Israel through the Jordan River to Jericho. The walls have fallen down. The whole, you know, children's song, and you sing it in preschool. Yes, it's all, you know, Joshua fought the battle of Jericho. Yes, and the walls fell, came tumbling down. They rushed in. Awesome. Really good. That was in chapter 6. Now we get to chapter 7, and it's a, a little bit different of a situation. They're going to the next location, a place called Ai. And this is what happens in Joshua chapter 7, beginning in verse 1. It says, But the Israelites acted unfaithfully in regard to the devoted things. Achan, son of Carmi, the son of Zimri, the son of Zerah, of the tribe of Judah, took some of them. So the Lord's anger burned against Israel. Now Joshua sent men from Jericho to Ai, which is near Beth-Avon, to the east of Bethel, and told them, Go up and spy out the region. So the men went up and spied out Ai. When they returned to Joshua, they said, Not all the people will have to go up against Ai. Send two or three thousand men to take it, and do not weary all the people, for only a few men are there. So about three thousand men went up. But they were routed by the men of Ai, who killed about thirty-six of them. They chased the Israelites from the city gate as far as the stone quarries and struck them down on the slopes. At this, the hearts of the people melted and became like water. Oops. This was not Jericho 2.0, all right? This was not, oh yeah, it's just going to be the same thing that happened at Jericho. This is a completely different outcome. Jericho was this mighty move of God where he directed everything, and it was supernatural what took place. AI was very different than that. And we're going to get into Joshua's response and, and what, what he felt, how it impacted him, and what God has to say about that. Joshua responds to this news and what had happened in the battle here. In verse 6, it says, Then Joshua tore his clothes and fell face down to the ground before the ark of the Lord, remaining there till evening. The elders of Israel did the same and sprinkled dust on their heads. And Joshua said, Ah, oh, sovereign Lord, why did you ever bring this people across the Jordan to deliver us into the hands of the Amorites to destroy us? If only we had been content to stay on the other side of the Jordan. Oh, Lord, what can I say now that Israel has been routed by its enemies? The Canaanites and the other people of the country will hear about this and they will surround us and wipe out our name from the earth. What then will you do for your own great name? Joshua's in despair. He's calling out to God saying, God, look what's happened. We should have stayed on the other side. Now, before we, we get on Joshua's case here and start accusing him of, you know, oh, he, he lacks faith. He had a, you know, he had, he's backslidden or whatever we want to say. I really want us to reconsider, okay, is, Josh, is Joshua known for being weak of faith? Is Joshua known for, for really just kind of, ah, just do whatever I feel like? This was the man who walked side by side with Moses, who witnessed God at Mount Sinai. This is Joshua who would stay right outside the tent of the Lord all the time in the presence of God. This is Joshua who, when the 12 spies went into the, to the, the land of Canaan to, to spy out the land, and they brought back the report, and they said, oh yeah, it's awesome, except they're, they're huge giants, and we look like little tiny grasshoppers. And, they start, and Joshua's like, no, him and Caleb, no, we can take this. God has given us. Let's not, don't shrink back. We're right here on the edge of the promised land. Don't shrink back. God has given us this land. Let's go. Let's take it. He'll be with us. 
This is the same Joshua. The same Joshua that God had spoken promises to. The same Joshua that, that witnessed God parting the, the Red Sea and then in his leadership, parting the Jordan River, doing the same thing, God being faithful with his people. Joshua who witnessed the walls of Jericho fall down. Joshua's moment here with God is not a, oh, oh I, I used to trust you, God, but now I'm not so sure. In all of scripture, Joshua stands as a model, as a pillar of faith. I believe Joshua's despair is not because he lacked faith, but because he properly understood where his faith was. His faith was in God. God fights my battles. God leads his people. God gives the victory. God does all the work. He parts the Red Sea. He causes the walls to fall down. He blesses us. He gives us everywhere we go. God does all of this. But because God does all of it, if it doesn't happen, well, then God, God wasn't involved. Where did, where did he go? What? This is not a good situation for us to be in without God. It's because of his faith in God and his recognition that every victory comes from you. Every success is yours. Every strength, every wisdom, every plan, they belong to you, God. And with you, psh, unstoppable. But without you, we are hopelessly lost. And so Joshua witnesses what happens here sees the, the absence of God's involvement, and that causes his despair. Not a lack of faith, but understanding that God must be leading, because if he isn't, there's no chance. So here comes God's response to Joshua's crying out in despair. In verse 10, it says, The Lord said to Joshua, Stand up! What are you doing down on your face? Now, I know God gets a bad rap sometimes. You know, the Old Testament, God, oh, he's the mean God. But the New Testament, oh, he loves children. <laughs> and, and that is a misrepresentation of God because he's the same yesterday, today, and forever, right? He doesn't, there's not an Old Testament, New Testament God. God's the same. So, but I'm just going to be a little bit honest. I read this, and my first thought is, man, God, it's, that's a little harsh, don't you think? I mean, this is your man. This is Joshua. Where's the, you know, hey, it'll be okay, Josh. We'll get him next time. Where's the encouraging kind of, you're my man, Josh, I got you. Where's that? Why does he just come with this? Get up. What are you doing on your face? Dude, get up. To me, that just seems a little curt, abrupt, short. So why is that? I believe God outlines that right after this. He tells Joshua in verse 11, Israel has sinned. They have violated my covenant, which I commanded them to keep. They have taken some of the devoted things. They have stolen. They have lied. They have put them with their own possessions. That is why the Israelites cannot stand against their enemies. They turn their backs and run because they have been made liable to destruction. I will not be with you anymore unless you destroy whatever among you is devoted to destruction. Go, consecrate the people. Tell them, consecrate yourselves in preparation for tomorrow, for this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. That which is devoted is among you, O Israel. You cannot stand against your enemies until you remove it. God told the nation of Israel, he told Joshua specifically, that which is devoted is among you. And you cannot stand against your enemies until you remove it. You see, God was very direct with Joshua, using even Joshua's own words to remind him that what he was experiencing should not have been a huge surprise to Joshua. 
The truth is, Joshua had spoken these exact same consequences right before this. Turn back to Joshua chapter 6. As they're preparing for the conquest of of Jericho, the, the final march around the city of Jericho, in verse 15 it says, On the seventh day they got up at daybreak and marched around the city seven times in the same manner, except that on that day they circled the city seven times. The seventh time around, when the priests sounded the trumpet blast, Joshua commanded the people, Shout, for the Lord has given you the city. The city and all that is in it are to be devoted to the Lord. Only Rahab the prostitute and all who are with her in her house shall be spared because she hid the spies we sent. But keep away from the devoted things so that you will not bring about your own destruction by taking any of them. Otherwise, you will make the camp of Israel liable to destruction and bring trouble on it. All the silver and gold and the articles of bronze and iron are sacred to the Lord and must go into his treasury. Joshua's words to the people of Israel. Joshua had spoken the very exact same consequences that happened at Ai. He spoke those things. So there weren't There was no real room for surprises here. Now, the defeat and the setback at Ai, very, yes, yes, that was probably a huge surprise to Joshua. But the reason for it should not have been some huge mystery. It would have been just as easy for Joshua to have responded with, okay, we just lost. Who took something? Who stole it? I just told you guys at Jericho, do you not remember? We just had this conversation like a few days ago. I just told you, don't do it, or this is going to happen. This is what happened. So who did it? Come on, fess up. Joshua could have done that because he spoke those very same things. But he didn't. Instead, he cries out to God, and so God addresses it very directly. Josh, it's exactly like you said. That's exactly why. That shouldn't be a surprise. There are no surprises here. And the reason why is because God never changes. God never changes. His heart never changes. His character never changes. His power never changes. His faithfulness never changes. His promise never changes. His word never changes. Read your Bibles. It's filled with the immutability of God. He does not change. He is constant. He is perfectly faithful. He is absolutely certain and absolutely sure. And that goes through everything about God. He never, never changes. Now, as Joshua experienced the consequences of God's faithfulness in perhaps maybe not the greatest of ways, but it's true. There's also the flip side of that coin, that all of God's amazing goodness and promises are just as faithful. Turn back to Joshua chapter 1. And read God's promises to Joshua as he commissions him in ministry and gives him leadership over his people. He says in Joshua 1.3, I will give you every place where you set your foot, as I promised Moses. Your territory will extend from the desert to Lebanon and from the great river, the Euphrates, all the Hittite country to the great sea on the west. No one will be able to stand up against you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. These are God's promises to Joshua, but not just to Joshua, to his people. 
And not just to his people, but to us. They are God's promises to us. I will give you every place where you set your foot. No one will be able to stand up against you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. Was that only to Joshua? Do you really think God would say, Josh, everywhere you go, I'm with, everywhere you set your foot, that's yours. But those people over there that you're bringing with you, not a chance. No. When God told Joshua, he's including the entire nation of Israel. When he says, no one will be able to stand against you. He was not saying, you're going to be, you know, UFC champion, and the rest of these guys, they're going to get handed to them every single time. No. It was to the entire nation of Israel. He didn't tell, I'm going to be with you, Joshua, but you, I'm staying way away from the rest of those people. It was to Joshua and to all the people of Israel. Because God doesn't change. And so the promises that he gives to Joshua are the same promises that he gave to the nation of Israel and the same promises that he gives to us. And we get to see those fulfilled in, in Jesus and in the presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives that everywhere we go, we bring God. So as far as I know, I haven't run into anything that's been able to stop him. So that, pretty, that, that means his promises to Joshua are, are the same. And as far as I know, every day that I've been with God, when I wake up in the morning, he's like still there. He hasn't like, I don't ever like beat him away. Even when I get up really early, he's still there. I joke about sometimes that I don't like to wake God up in the morning. I would rather, you know, crawl out of bed at 10. But that's not reality anymore. Having six kids who don't have alarm clocks that get up at 10 changes everything. So when God gives a principle to Joshua, the promises to Joshua were to his people and to us. And the principles that he sets for Joshua are to his people and to us. And so when God lays a principle out for Joshua, that same unchanging God gives us the same principle and says to us, that which is devoted is among you, O Israel. You cannot stand against your enemies until you remove it. You see, Achan took for himself what had been devoted to God. These goods, these jewels, these precious things, Achan wanted for himself and took those things for himself, but they belonged to God. They weren't his to begin with. They were God's. It's never a good idea, note to self, never a good idea to take what's God's and make it mine. Just, it doesn't work out well. And the reason why is this, because when I tighten my fist around that which is devoted to God, I don't just take possession of it, but I also claim responsibility for it. That's on me now. The moment that I grab a hold of that which is devoted to the Lord and claim it is mine, it's now my responsibility. It's not just my possession now, it's my responsibility as well. It's the difference between renting and buying. When I was in Bible college, I had an apartment with some roommates, and anytime something would break and things broke, I didn't break them, they just broke sometimes. You call the landlord, right? Because I'm just renting. It's not my job to fix the washing machine. It's your, somebody else's job. This electrical problem we got, that's not my job. That's call the landlord, and he either comes and fixes it or pays somebody, which means he always comes and fixes it because he's not going to pay anybody. <laughs> so that's how it is because I'm renting. It's not my responsibility. It's somebody else's job to take care of this place that I'm living in. But when I bought a house, oh, yes, it's all on me now. That's great. That's awesome. Did you know that they can make copper piping for hot water that's thinner than paper? 
It's like really, I didn't know they could do that, but apparently they can. And what's really fun is when they take that really paper thin copper piping and they lay it in the ground and then they pour a concrete slab over that and then they build a house on top of it. That's awesome. Because then when you're walking around barefoot in the morning and you come in the living room and you, you walk through a cold, and it's like, oh, there's a warm spot, right? That's awesome. It's warm. Here it's not warm, but if I walk here, I can warm my feet. That's wonderful. It's not supposed to be like that. And the reason why is because that little paper-thin copper piping just moves ever so slightly against a tiny little pebble, and it goes, bink, and makes this cute little spraying thing that eventually works its way through maybe 10 feet further down the, the room through a crack in the concrete and warms your carpet for you. It's awesome. <laughs> so you call the plumber. Because it's, whose responsibility is it? Mine, I own the house, okay? There's no, land hey, landlord, I got a, a warm spot in my living room. No, it's called, I have to take care of this. So you call the plumber, he comes out, we rip the carpet back. Oh, that's wonderful, great. My living room is now concrete. And now my living room is concrete with a jackhammer making a hole in the middle of it and dirt and a big pile of stuff and water stuff. That's awesome. So it gets repaired, concrete gets put back in, carpet gets laid, it's moved out again, and as things are putting back into shape, just so you know, with your piping, this could happen a foot away from where we just repaired it. It's just that thin. I had four slab leaks at that house in different areas of the house. My responsibility, yes. You see, when we grab a hold and we own this, and it's my possession now, it's my responsibility as well. That which is devoted is among you. Achan took what was God's. He took what was God's. And he didn't just take possession of it. Now it's Israel's responsibility to win their battles. Now it's on you. You go and conquer Ai without God. Because you've just claimed possession of that which is his. It's now your responsibility. Well, unfortunately for the nation of Israel, their battle experience, these are not like Delta Force or Green Berets or Navy SEALs, okay? So far, they, they've marched in formation and yelled. <laughs> that's the fighting force here that's going to go conquer AI, all right? We've marched in formation and yelled, all right? That is not a recipe for success. But once we've claimed that which is God's and said, this is now going to be mine, well, it's also going to be my responsibility. And because Achan did that, it was Israel's responsibility to defeat Ai, and it didn't happen. That which is devoted is among you. Are we going to tighten our fist around that which belongs to God and claim it for ourselves, or are we going to devote it to him? God, this is yours. Because that's true of every area in our lives. Every aspect of our lives, this same principle applies. That which is devoted to the Lord. I've heard one of the easiest ways to remember this are three T's. My time, my talent, and my treasure. My time, my talent, and my treasure. Now when it comes to things that are devoted to the Lord and given to God, it, it's, many times it's easy to see that with physical stuff. Because I can recognize, well, God, God blessed me with this car. God blessed me with this house with slab leaks. God blessed me with this shirt or this money or this job or that whatever resources, things, treasures that he's given me. 
And so, it, well, yeah, these are gods. And so I share and I bless and I minister to this person. I give so-and-so a ride. And yeah, you can crash at my place. Yeah, all these sort of things because I recognize, hey, these are gods. And so with treasure, a lot of times that's very easy to see. But with things that are not so physical, many times that's a lot harder to see. My time. My time. The, the 24 hours I have in a day. Wait, wait a second. There's a problem with that because it says in Psalm 18, 118, 24, this is the day that the Lord has made. Oh, yeah. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. My first uh, year in, in Barstow, I was, when I was in Bible college, I had a professor who was, I remember them talking to us about how awesome it is to be called by God in the ministry and how, man, serving the Lord in ministry is just so, it's so, so great that you're here and that God's called you and that he's going to send you out and have you do stuff for the kingdom and and this professor said, there's only two things wrong with the ministry, only two, Sundays and people. <laughs> yeah. So I'm in Barstow, my first year there, serving as youth pastor, and I was having a Sundays and people kind of day. Unfortunately, it was on my day off, which was Monday, and typically it's like, you, you work on the weekend and Monday, okay, Monday, relax, and okay, and this was, I don't remember what the situation was, I don't know if I was dealing with a parent or a teenager or what was happening, but I just remember I'm driving back from dealing with this Sundays and people issue, and I'm having this conversation with the Lord, and I'm like, God, seriously, God, on my day off, and the moment the words came out of my mouth, the Holy Spirit says to me, whose day off? Oh, yeah. You're right, God. You're right. It's your day. It's not mine. This is the day the Lord has made. And if you want to give me a Sundays and people day on your day off, okay, it's yours. My time belongs to him, even on my day off. So I devote it to him. It's yours, God. Because the moment that I claim possession, I got to manage that whole day and every issue that comes up. Ah, nah, 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 nah. You can have that. Your day. All 24 hours. What about my talent? My unique giftings and abilities that make me so special. <laughs> All those experiences and gifts and insights that I have and my collective wisdom from my many years of stuff. That which is, well, that's just the way I am. That's how God made me. Well, there's my reminder right there. Because in Psalm 139, it says that he did make me. He knit me together inside my mom. 1 Corinthians 12 says that he is the one who gifts me spiritually with all these things the Holy Spirit has for me. The same chapter in 1 Corinthians also says that he takes this part of the body and he sticks it in the body right where he wants it to be. Right where he wants it to be. You see, every aspect of who I am as a person, all my stuff and my, what I want to claim as my own, is his. But once I claim ownership of that, once I claim possession of that, it's now my responsibility. Well, that, what, happens, what happens when my body grows weak? What happens when I become a skinny guy like this with no muscles? I've always been a skinny guy with no muscles. What happens when my mind becomes, I don't remember what I was going to say. What happens when somehow I'm not being as efficient as I used to be on certain things? 
What happens when I get into situations that are beyond my ability or experience or my comfort zone? What happens then? Because if I have claimed my personality and myself and my things and my talent and this is who I am and this is my identity, well, now I'm responsible for it. So instead, that's devoted to him. God, this is yours. You, you supply the wisdom. You give the strength. You, you show the way through in things that I don't understand. You see, God has designed our lives to be lived with open hands. Open hands that steward the things that he's blessed us with, the resources that he's given us, the relationships he's put in our lives, the unique personality that he's created within us, that all of these things are lived. Here's my time, God. Here's my talent, or lack thereof. Here's my treasure, how big, small, or wonderful it may be. God's designed life to be lived this way. Devoted to him in everything. Everything devoted to him. Romans 12.1 talks about our bodies being living sacrifices. Psalm 19.14 talks about our mouths and our hearts being dedicated to him. Philippians 4.8 talks about our minds being devoted and the things that we think about. That they would be true and noble, and right, and lovely, and pure, admirable. Paul just comes out and says it in Acts 17, 28. For in him we live and move and have our being. It's all his. All of it. But here's the great part. As we devote everything to him, he guarantees our success. He guarantees it, just as he did with the nation of Israel. AI was an easy fix, church. It was an easy fix, and ours is too. Joshua dealt with it immediately, and God gives clear instruction. They go to AI, completely different. It's Jericho 2.0 all over again. No walls falling down, but they did it. God completely won the victory. But that came from a quick easy fix to something that was simply you grabbed a hold of this you need to give that back one of my favorite I don't know about my favorite sometimes it's not my favorite my favorite things about spending time with the Lord I do soaps when I do my, my devotions every day and so I have my scripture which is cool to see the Holy Spirit kind of zero you in on something sometimes I don't know exactly what he's going to say you do the observation, you're studying through and you're, you're hearing things and you're correlating it to other passages of scripture and you're reminding you about stuff and you get to open up some extra books and do some extra study. Man, that's awesome. Then you get to the application part. Man, that's where the rubber meets the road. That's where it's, okay, God, how, how's my life gonna be different because of what you're saying right now? How am I gonna live in response to that? Because that is what it's all about, church, is responding to the Lord and letting him be in charge. So this morning, I'm going to encourage us to do the same thing and respond to the Lord. So if you bow your heads and close your eyes, we're just going to spend a moment in prayer. This is just a chance for you to be honest with God and allow the Holy Spirit to work in our hearts. I would have you ask the Lord this, God, is there anything that I have kept for myself that's supposed to be devoted to you? 
Is there anything around which I've clenched my fist and I need to let that go back into your hands instead of my own? In whatever area that is, the moment that we release it back to him, we find freedom, we find victory, we find strength, we find hope, joy. Everything that we have missed out on and tried to, to take on our own, we give that to him and we find his supply. Is the Holy Spirit speaking about any area in your life? I would encourage you to do this. As a physical sign of what he's doing spiritually, would you just raise your hand to God and say, God, this is yours. I'm, I'm lifting up whatever this issue is, whatever this relationship is, whatever this personality thing is, whatever this aspect of my time or my schedule, my routine, whatever. God, I'm giving you this. It belongs to you. I, I let go of it. It's not in my hand anymore, God. It's yours. It's devoted to you. And it's now your responsibility. God, and I know that you're faithful. God, I know that you're able. So I give this back to you. This morning, there may be some here that that, that needs to be your whole life. Man, God, I, I have lived with my fist clenched around me. And I need your forgiveness for that. Because I recognize I, I was created to be devoted to God. I was created to need God. That's why Jesus came. To make us aware of that need and to see that need and to respond to that need. And so if this morning that's a decision that you need to make, I would say the same thing. Raise your hand up to God. God, here's my life. Here's my life in my hand. And I give it to you. Lord, we give you our hearts, God. Church, will you pray with me? You don't mean to lead you in prayer, just communicate this to the Lord. God, I give you my life. I give you my heart, Lord. I devote it to you. It doesn't belong to me anymore. It belongs to you. So I let it go. And I ask you, God, to forgive me for my selfishness, for my arrogance, for my greed, for me grabbing a hold of that which belongs to you. Forgive me. Give me your spirit and your heart and your perspective. God, I receive your strength. I receive your presence, Holy Spirit. Fill me. Make me new. I belong completely to you. I'm yours, God. Lord, we thank you for your faithfulness. We thank you for your faithfulness to your word, the fact that you never change, God, the fact that your promises to Joshua, to the nation of Israel, are the same promises to us. Lord, you are a good God. You do miraculous things on our behalf. There are Jerichos all over the place. They are, they are nothing compared to you. Lord, every AI in our life, God, every obstacle, Lord, every difficulty that we face, Lord, you parted seas, God. You moved your people into lands they'd never known before. And God, you did all of this for them because you're faithful. And God, we want to live as people devoted to you. So God, may we live with open hands that honor you with every part of our lives and allow you to be God, to be Lord, to be Savior, to be in charge.
all for your glory. Well, I hope you enjoyed the podcast today. And if you did, I'd like to ask you to subscribe to our show. That way, the most recent episode will always be in your feed, ready when you are. God bless you, and I'll see you next time on the Memphis Tabernacle Podcast.